Before we begin, I want to thank the sponsor of Oil & Gas Upstream, Oliva Gibbs. Oliva Gibbs provides clear legal solutions to complex oil, gas, and mineral law issues nationwide. We believe that when we focus on serving people, good things happen in the lives of our clients and employees. We just happen to be a law firm. Learn more at oglawyers.com. Oil and Gas Production is the union of natural systems with advanced science and complex engineering. Smart people across the globe create this remarkable place we call Upstream, and each day brings a new challenge. This is the Oil and Gas Upstream Podcast, where we look at how these systems come together and learn from the people who make it happen. Welcome to Oil and Gas Upstream. I'm Elena Melkert, your host. Some of you know me as the former director for oil and gas research at the U.S. Department of Energy. I retired from the DOE, founded a small consultancy, and became a podcast host. Before we begin, I want to shout out to our sponsor, Oliva Gibbs provides clear legal solutions to complex oil, gas, and mineral law issues nationwide. You can learn more at oglawyers.com. Also, I want to ask you to do me a big favor by answering a one-question survey. It takes about 10 seconds, and the link is in the show notes below. In return, we will happily send you some stickers. Also, OGGN has launched a weekly newsletter called The Sunday Update. Subscribe to get oil and gas insights, behind-the-scenes looks at OGGN, and coupon codes delivered to your inbox every Sunday. I want you to go on to the OGGN website also and take a look at the new merchandise that's available and maybe even pick up the oil and gas upstream t-shirt that reminds us that only the bit finds oil. A link is in the show notes below. And now I'd like to introduce today's guest, Terry Polish, Vice President, Technology and Engineering, Carbo Ceramics, and the 2024 SPE President. Hi, Terry. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, Elena. I'm really excited to talk to you. I've looked forward to this for several months. So oh, I'm really gosh. Happy to be here. Yes, well, I've been looking forward since we met at uh, Ertech. We met at Ertech in Denver. Exactly. Yeah. Well, let me do a brief bio. It's, you've got a lot, and that's where we're going to be starting. So, Terry Polish is Vice President of Technology and Engineering at Carbo Ceramics in Houston, Texas, and he's been with Carbo for almost 20 years. As for his SPE career, Terry served as Completions Technical Director from 2018 to 2021. Terry has had a long career in petroleum engineering, having earned a Bachelor of Science degree in petroleum at the Missouri University of Science and Technology. His first job was with ARCO in Alaska. Next month, Terry will be installed as the new president of the Society of Petroleum Engineers at SPE's annual technology conference and exhibition in San Antonio. So, Terry, we're going to ask you all about your great career. So I'm so glad. Thank you for again for joining us. Um, so, Terry, tell us a little about your day job at Carbo, as well as your recent election to the prese- pre- uh, as the president of SPE. Let's start with Carbo. What's a technology and engineering vice president do? Yeah, that's a good question. So, you know, I guess if you want to call it my current day job, um, you know, there's really kind of two parts to it. First of all, uh, probably the major part of it is I lead our R&D efforts. So our research and development team, our lab is located in Houston. We have uh, a lab director and several scientists. Um, and their job is, of course, to develop new products for um, 
well, we have multiple business segments, but really for the purpose of this show, um, what we do is provide products for the upstream oil and gas uh, business. Um, you know, our, our team has over 100 patents um, globally. They're a global, we're a global organization. So that's one part. The other part of it is um, having worked in the upstream oil and gas business, done hydraulic fracturing, things like that, which is a big part of what we support. Um, I provide technical support to our sales team, so I go out and, and meet with clients, um, provide you know, help them with understanding completion optimization and things like that. So that's that. that I guess that's kind of where our, we fit in. We fit into really the, the hydraulic fracturing side of things. Um, you know, as far as the SP president goes, um, I was elected or nominated elected uh, in the spring of 22. Um, I, like you said, I'd served on the board before, um, and I'd had several people who'd you know, reached out to me and said, we'd really like to support you to run for president. So I did, really not knowing whether I would win or not. Um, but um, I guess they say the rest is history. Um, I was nominated. Um, and, I, and I guess in that position, I should probably clarify, um, you know, I, I'll be doing several things. One is I lead the board of directors. So the board of directors works very close with SPE staff. Um, I'll work very closely with Simon Seaton, our new CEO, um, really kind of leading us. Um, implementing the strategic plan. Um, I'll have a few initiatives as well. Um, but then a lot of what I do is, is kind of, I guess you might say, the face of the franchise for a year. So we, um, I'll go out and, and meet with sections and attend events and celebrations and things and be the representative of SPE at those. Um, so really kind of whatever people kind of ask me to do, we, we try to manage that. So as you can imagine, it'll take a tremendous amount of time. Um, but it's so far, it's been pretty rewarding. Yes, yes. Well, it's a labor of love, I'm sure. Uh, there'll be a lot of hours, but you already know that. You already have served a, <laughs> a lot and, and given a lot of, um, of your time to the society, and we're very grateful for that. Uh, I'm a petroleum engineer. I'm a member of Society of Petroleum Engineers. I have the pin to prove it, and I'm yeah. looking forward to the to the, the conference um, next month. Yeah, and I'm also attending the SPE um, Electric Submersible Pump Symposium uh, mm in the woodlands in a, I guess in a week, a week or so next Yeah, week. that's in another week. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's coming right. up. It's coming up soon. Well, go wash. You, you shared so much with us. Let, let's go back to the um, R and D and the technology and the hydraulic fracturing. So uh, when we started, you and I started in the business, um, there really wasn't a hydraulic fracture. There wasn't an unconventional sort of arena. It was all conventional. So you were there in terms of the R&D trans, uh, transferring from uh, conventional, uh, the attention being unconventional to unconventional. And so tell us a little bit about that transition from your point of view and the research. I always gra brag about that um, in the 80s, the Department of Energy was like the first to put big money into horizontal drilling and then big money into hydraulic fracture. But it was an industry to put it together. And then obviously, you know, the rest is history, you know, as we said. Right. But you were on the front lines from research on the part of commercial. So, so let's, let, let's hear, hear a little bit about that and how that, what you saw from, from your perspective. Well, <clears throat> what's interesting is I actually started, when I was in Alaska, I was doing conventional fracturing. So I, I did refracts, but before refracts were cool, um, you know, we were fracking, but, but, you know, technology then was about fluids, propants, um, implementation, things like that. And then, of course, as you mentioned, unconventionals came along in around 2000. And what's kind of interesting is a lot of people think that that's when we started drilling horizontal wells and that's when we started fracking wells. And really, that's just the first time we put them together. Um, they've been around since the 40s. Um, 
And so since that time, um, you know, we tried to apply a lot of our conventional technologies to hydraulic fracturing, and, I, and we, were, we were very successful, but really the technology advancements that allowed unconventional development in shale oil and gas was really equipment driven. Uh, it was primarily, you know, being able to perforate and, uh, and work in horizontal wells that are one, two, three miles long, um, successfully stimulate those wells. And I would say in the more recent years, the technologies have been really geared towards efficiency. You know, how do we get as many stages done in a day? How do we get as much frac intensity, as much fluid, as much sand, as much propent? So for my business, we've had to go through a transformation. Um, you know, we, we, of course, Carbo's always been known for ceramic propent, um, a high-end material that provides high conductivity, and it still works very well in unconventional or conventionals. But you know when these conventional, unconventional wells are putting 20 and 30 million pounds of, uh, of a propent in the well, what we've really tried to pivot is into technology products. So developing products that will uh, supply uh, additive to the sand that you're already pumping. So perhaps, perhaps like for, I'll just give you one example, like a, a propent that has scale inhibitor inside of it. So you don't add a lot of it to the well because it's just too expensive to do that. You still pump all your sand but then you add that. So that's kind of the transformation we've seen at Carbo um, is as we've pivoted from conventionals to unconventionals. We have to always remember though, there's still a lot of conventional work being done in the world and it's still quite a, quite important. Yeah, yeah. So not all our audience uh, listeners are um, subject matter experts in oil and gas. Some of them uh, drop by to just get a little bit of exposure to oil and gas. Um, so could you share the propent story, why we care about propent, what the role of propent is? Just a real simple story, um, but just to distinguish how important it is mm -hmm. to the whole hydraulic fracturing process. Sure. I mean, the, the easiest way to think of this is probably, I always like to talk about highways and roads. Um, for the, if you live in Houston, you understand what, what the purpose is of I-10. And the, uh, if, if you don't have I-10, you have everything crowding and trying to get into downtown. But when we frack a well, what we do is we create cracks. And we create these cracks out in the rock so that the oil and gas can flow into those cracks easier and then flow down to the well. The, and that flow down to the well is I-10. It's the highway. And so the side roads are the fractures that you're creating. And so what does propent do? Propent is what we're really uh, cool in our industry. We call propent because it props open the fractures. Um, but that's what it does. It, it creates a, a high conductivity pathway so that the oil or the gas can more easily flow to the wellbore, which would be downtown in the road analogy. Yeah, yeah. And so we use sand, but also specialty materials, ceramics. Can you share that? Sure. So there's, uh, there's a kind of hierarchy in, in providing permeability or conductivity. So sand, regional sands, sands, those would be kind of the lowest tier. They're also the lowest expense, lowest cost. Um, and then you can work your way up by putting a resin on the outside or, or ultimately going to a ceramic propent, which is what we make. Uh, so think of it as a strong sand. Um, and so if, you know, in, in areas where you really need to have that long-lasting conductivity, um, you're, you know, like the Gulf of Mexico offshore or, say, conventional wells in Alaska or the Middle East or what have you, 
um, you're going to want to use a ceramic prop and to maintain that conductivity for the lifetime. Yeah, yeah. So staying with the hydraulic fracturing story and the fact that uh, petroleum engineers, our skills, are being uh, are available and, and uh, valuable in other subsurface uh, environments, such as geothermal, carbon storage, even as we look at possibly hydrogen storage, and, and the like, that petroleum engineers are where those skill sets um, are developed and, and the experiences honed, uh, especially in the oil and gas. But with respect to hydraulic fracturing and geothermal, we're aware of um, enhanced geothermal thermal systems where they have to fracture. So is there a propent story that's maybe specialty propents for um, those uh, deep, um, hot, very hot environments uh, and right. harsh environments? Can you share that, some of that with, uh, with us as well? Sure. Yeah, I, I, think, I think we're still, we, we are very early in EGS. Um, even though Fenton Hill was many years ago, um, I think that when it comes to understanding the role of propent in, in enhanced drills, the thermal systems is still, I'm, I'm going to say the jury's still out. If, if we need propent, then, you know, the, and then the question becomes, what's the longevity need going to be? You know, the hotter you have, the higher the stress environment, the less apt you're going to use uh, sand for that. Um, but, but it's going to be trade-offs, right? You're always trading off cost versus performance, um, no different than an unconventional. So. Um, I think that in a traditional sense, one would argue or probably think a ceramic is going to be necessary. Um, but I think we're not talking traditional here. We need to understand really the role of propent and that fracture. Um, and so I think if you look at what Forge is doing, you look at what Faribault's doing, um, they're, all, they're all dabbling in this. I mean, we have, we have a lot of context, a lot of people asking us about what we can supply um, because I think there is an understanding that we may need to have some sort of a man-made product for that. But but I would say, at best, the jury's still out. I um, right, okay, right. And of course, um, we also have um, um, a new concept in the sense of um, uh, CO2 EOR, EOR in unconventionals. That's a new frontier research area. I'm, I'm thinking it's a new frontier research area. The Department of Energy has just recently um, released a um, solicitation inviting proposals in that area. Do you have thoughts about the use of um, CO2, I'm sorry, propent and hydraulically fracturing unconventional reservoirs for the purpose of injecting CO2 for EOR and then leaving it in storage. You know, the role of propent, I mean, that's really what I'm asking you about. But do you, what do you, do you have thoughts on that? Well, I don't, I don't think the role of propent will change. I mean, if you need a conductive network and you need a conductive pathway, then you're probably going to need propent. Um, you know, I don't, you know, will, will it change because you're injecting CO2? Um, that's a good question. I don't, you know, we've, we've injected CO2 over the, over the years before. I mean, this isn't new for us. Um, we've had CO2 flooding going on for many years. Um, we've had CO2 foam fracking. So, I mean, people use CO2 to create foam, do it with nitrogen as well, but to create foam and, and actually frack wells with CO2. Um, I think there's a lot of work being, additional work, like you said, being done on that. Um, but, you know, I think propens role won't change if, if you need to have a, that conductive pathway and it's a hydraulic fracture, then yes. Um, but, uh, so, I, yeah, I, I, I would say that, that that role hasn't changed. Excellent, excellent. And um, so we were talking about, um, previously we were talking, this is your SPE hat now. 
<laughs> SPE yep. hat. So we were talking about um, historically uh, hydraulic fracturing has been around for a really long time for um, you know vertical vertical fracks of her vertical well. And um, coming from Bakersfield, we used a lot of hydraulic fracturing for sand control and and other things. So it's mm-hmm. a real you know longstanding, uh, tr- tried and true um, technology. What what I'm observing, um, having come from you know a research environment as well, um, is the idea of kind of going back to the future when we turned all our attention to. Um, unconventionals and just really focused on that and develop new technologies and really fast uh, tried to get things into the field. Um, I kept saying, well, there's still two-thirds of the oil left on the ground in conventional systems, um, you know, but we, we didn't have this uh, exponential growth in technology development and um, especially the, the remote uh, sensing types and um, uh, big data, data analytics. Uh, you know, it, it, it was uh, something that we've applied to unconventionals. And are there some technologies or some points of view or some uh, strategies that we might use to turn back to conventionals and see if we can get some of that oil out, recognizing that there's so much still there? Um, what might be some of the the story that that people face when they look at those reservoirs um, and how they might apply new technologies. I'm just trying to frame that question. I'm not even sure if this is a right question, but it, it's something like that. Well, I would said back to the future with respect to the yeah. technologies. Well, by the way, back to the future, we we pumped slick water a long, long time ago, when, and we also pumped Arkansas River sand when we first started pumping. So we've gone back to the future at this Indeed. point. Um, but, but as far as conventionals go, I think we're starting to see some of that. <clears throat> I think when, when we developed the horizontal well multi-stage frack technology for unconventionals, you know, nano Darcy rock, and we developed all the, the uh, associated technologies that allowed us to d- access those well bores and be efficient um, with our deployment, I, I've started, you, you, you will start seeing, and we're already seeing some people going back into what what ter- was termed probably conventional before is probably tight, right? Tight right, oil and tight gas. Right. Um, where we, you know, we were hydraulically fracturing vertical wells. Um, I, you're starting to see some people go back in with horizontal wells and trying to access some of that oil and gas that was left behind that way. So I think that's an aspect. Um, I think you mentioned one already, and that's the CO2 part of this. Um, you know, with a lot of the tax incentives and things that are out there with that, I think there's a, probably some impetus to try to figure out, well, is there something more we could do just with traditional CO2 flooding um, and, and things like that. So those are two that kind of pop into my mind as we just off the top of my head. Yeah, that's a real, that, that question has been with me for some time. And um, this is for listeners as well, you know. Send me a send me an email on uh, or a message on LinkedIn and tell me your thoughts about that question because I really would like to see some way of really getting all of the oil that we can um, in terms of recovery factors from both conventional and unconventionals. When we look at the you know the production profile for unconventionals, it drops off dramatically, and you know what's the best we're going to do in unconventionals, if the best we can do in conventionals is something like, you know, 30, 40, you know, percent. So that's a question that's like, I, I would like us to see, you know, as an industry to kind of explore that, uh, that a little bit more. 
Well, uh, well there's, it's a good news, bad news story. <laughs> I mean, the good news is we know where there's a lot of oil left in the ground. I mean, we're not, we're not to explore for right. that. We know where it's That's at, right. whether it's conventional or unconventional. Right. I mean, unconventionals are projecting maybe 10% recovery. So that's the good news. Uh, you know, the bad news part of that is we don't know how to get it out. Um, so it's going to take technology. And that's, that's one of the key aspects of, of our future here is, is new technologies to try to get more oil and more gas out of the ground. Yeah, yeah. Well, this show is going to drop uh, on October 2nd, which is the couple weeks before we get to the ATCE. I know you have some talking points that you expect to present, um, you know, at the conference, perhaps. Um, can you give us a hint or are there some other things you would like to share with us? I mean, this is kind of fun to have a, a chance to talk with you before you're actually there. And so um, do you have anything you'd like to share with us? Sure. I mean, uh, most of my, my theme is kind of dropped already in the first issue of JPT, so um, I can certainly give you a precursor. You know, um, I, I, wanna, I would just want to say that you know, I've traveled around uh, in this first year leading up. You know, a lot of it is learning, but a lot of it is going around to sections and student chapters. And, and what's super cool is that everybody I meet is just really excited. I mean, they're excited to be in the industry. They're excited about what they're doing. Um, and I usually try to present to them the impact they're having and our industry's having on humanity. And, and they're always excited to hear that because, um, you know, they all want to be technical. That's why they're in the position they're in. But they also want to feel like what they're doing has meaning. And I think that's, that's great. I mean, what a great balance. So, you know, they're concerned while they like our industry and they want to be in it, they're also concerned about the, their place in the future. Um, and, you know, particularly in the face of, you know, the energy transition and things like that. And, um, so as you mentioned, I mean, every year the president has what he or she kind of calls their theme or their focus or what have you. Med Kamel, the current president, was Petroleum Plus Plus, of course, as you know, um, talking about how important the petroleum industry is to oil and gas and related technologies. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to kind of carry that step further um, and really talk about how we create our energy future. Um, because I think that's what's on the forefront of most people's minds, particularly the younger people, which is, our, as we mentioned, they're our future. Um, and if you allow me, I'll just expand a little bit oh, on yes, that, please, creating our please. energy future. Um, it's kind of a two-part hour. I, I could have, I thought about my, SPE's energy future, I thought about your energy future, but really it's our. And there's kind of two parts to that. The first part is our as in members. So as members of, of, a, of the oil and gas industry and the related technologies, um, we want to create our energy future. Um, and so what I think about is, you know, where, where are things headed? Um, in order to create our energy future, we're going to have to engage in lifelong learning. We're going to have to engage in reading technical content. We're going to have to network. Um, you know, so my goal on that front is to help our members understand what they can get out of being an SP member. What does SP do for them? And I like to, you know, I've used the analogy, some people like it, some people don't, but the gym membership. You know, we join a gym or a health club for a lot of different reasons, and it probably depends on what age we are. I know why I've joined one recently, um, but the bottom line is we join those for different reasons, but in the end we're joining them for our physical well-being. Um, and nobody gets anything out of the gym membership by sitting at home. That's right or by going to the gym and watching people exercise, and SP membership's the same way. I mean, we join SPE maybe early in our career for a certain reason, later in our career for another reason. We get different things out of our membership. There's a lot of things to offer 
But I think it's important to understand you, you do that because of your professional well-being. And the more you put in, the more you get out of it. So what I'm hoping is I would like to take that message. I would like to help people understand what all, I mean, most of us don't even understand what all we can get out of SP. There's just so much to offer. So that's one part. The other half, though, is just SPE. I mean, SPE needs to create its future. Um, and in order to do that, we have work to do um, in helping our members, you know, tr uh, traverse the energy landscape, um, continue to make offerings in our events and our technical programs and give value and things like that. So I guess that's kind of what I'm trying to do. Um, that's what I'm trying to focus my efforts on this year. Absolutely. And I, uh, I remember an email not too long ago listing all the various ways that we can volunteer as SPE members on the various activities that um, SPE is involved in. And uh, when you talked about networking, you know, you, yeah, you're right. You want to network within the industry. But I would say we should also network outside of the industry and in our communities to yeah. really help people understand the science and technology and sophistication of, of what we do um, so that we could have, you know, the energy that we need. And, and petroleum engineering is a unique uh, space in terms of engineering because it applies a lot of different disciplines in the one uh, discipline of petroleum engineering because what we do is... Uh, intersect our natural systems with these engineered systems and then try to manipulate that um, that subsurface natural system in a yeah exactly I mean go ahead no sorry. no no you go ahead <laughs> I was just gonna say you know what you made me think of here is is uh, you know as, an, as a petroleum engineer first of all we get a lot of education in the base level science so we are we are really well-rounded engineers um, and so what I like to tell people, I mean, look, my son is, is a, a five-year engineer in, in the industry, one of my sons, so he followed a little bit in my footsteps. But I try to explain to him is, you know, if you want to do oil and gas, there is a tremendous amount of opportunity for you ahead. I mean, but you're going to have to continue to learn and hone your, your technologies and get, you know, continue to, to, uh, to learn and network, like you said, networking with your peers. But if you want to go ahead and work geothermal, Guess what? We need drilling, we need completions, we need reservoir, we need facilities. I mean, it's right in our wheelhouse. Same with carbon capture. Um, so, or, or let me just take it one step further. What if you want to just decarbonize our operations? What if you want to work on things like electrifying our frac fleets or reducing flaring or methane emissions? All those things are important and all those are going to be critical to the energy transition. Um, and so uh, you, the world is kind of still your oyster. Um, Absolutely, absolutely. And the fact that we uh, focus on uh, oil and gas to kind of learn those skills initially uh, doesn't mean that that's the limit of the application of what we can do. And so really sharing that story outside and inviting young people to, to come in. I, I talk about it all the time with, with young people. If there's any major you want in school, you could, op you could apply it in the oil and gas sector or even in the en energy sector um, overall because we, we need it all and we use it all. Well, Terry, we're getting close to our time. Are there some last thoughts that you wanted to share um, with our listeners? Well, first of all, this has been a lot of fun. Um, I always enjoy talking this kind of work uh, with somebody, and so you've been great. Um, I think you. the only thing I would like to say is, I mean, if I'll put a little plug in. I mean, if you're in the oil and gas upstream industry or even a related industry to ours, um, I hope you're an SP member. And if you're not, I'd like to encourage you to look at that. I mean, we have 120,000 
members. Um, we're in 130 countries. I always tell the student members, the first thing I want you to do when you graduate is join a local section. Because that's where most people get the most out of their membership is at the local section. Like you said, volunteering, your professional skills. Um, you know, I was, I was a leader in the Dallas section long before I was a vice president. And so I think that helped me. So, you know, I hope that they view that membership as important. Um, if you're not already planning to come to San Antonio um, for ATC, like you mentioned, I'd like to encourage that. Um, and if you are, if not, then next year in San in New Orleans is our 100th anniversary. Oh, that's so um, and we're kind of trying to put some special things together for that, um, what I call for the next 100 years. So, um, you know, networking, exhibitions, you know, it's, it's really our annual meeting, so it's a great time to come and collaborate. But, I love that. that. I love that. Uh, I forgot that uh, people. You don't have to be a petroleum engineer to be a member of Society of Petroleum Engineers. Share a little bit about that too, um, because I don't think people realize that because it is such a diverse uh, industry sector and the skill sets. But you know, we can't do it all alone, right? So, show with that, please. Look, our industry is made up of a lot of non-petroleum engineers. I mean, First of all, there are a lot of non-petroleum engineers who do petroleum engineering, right, first of all, <laughs> because of the sometimes lack of people available. Um, but then, as you said, you know, we have a whole bunch of people that do safety and facilities and things like that. Those are non-petroleum engineers, but we have, I mean, we have an entire technical director dedicated to production facilities and, and construction. Um, and safety and environmental and all that all those are anybody who's got anything to do with our industry um, is welcome and, and you would find all walks of life in that so that's a really good absolutely point. absolutely well we're we're there we're a time uh terry polish vice president technology and engineering carbo and 2024 spe president thank you so much for being our guest today and for sharing all about your contributions to oil and gas upstream Thank you very much, Elena. It was great. I enjoyed talking to thank you. Thank you. I enjoyed talking to you. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Please give us a review and tell us what you like, and we'd like to hear more about on future podcasts. This is Elena Melkert, your host for Oil & Gas Upstream. More next time. Join us again next week on the Oil & Gas Upstream podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.